This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, this is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. According to a recent report in Makaranga, plantation company A.A. Sawit Sindirian Burhad has just submitted an environmental impact assessment report to get federal approval for its new plantations in Johor. But the thing is, the development on the site had already begun two years ago, with satellite images showing that in 2020 to 2021, more than 600 hectares of forest on the almost 3,800 hectare site in Endau, which is located in northeast Johor, were cleared. So why did the state and local authorities allow logging to commence without an EIA, which is clearly against regulations stipulated in the Environmental Quality Act 1974? Has the development already caused negative impacts to the wildlife and environment in the area? So today on the show, I'm going to find out more about this from science and environmental journalist Lao Yaohua, who is also an editor at journalism portal Makaranga. He investigated this case in collaboration with the Pulitzer Center's Rainforest Investigations Network. The title of the article is is drains dug, trees cut. Now let's get it approved and we're going to find out more. Welcome, Yaohua. How are you today? Hello, Juliet. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. So yeah, we were just chatting last week and uh, during our monthly roundup and we were alluding to this story as well. Uh, maybe for you know folks who are not familiar, maybe you can share a little bit of, of the background of this investigation for us. You know, Can you set it out for us? Right. So um, as you I- introduced, right, so this is a oil palm and coconut plantation project uh, in northeast Johor. Uh, run or uh, operated by uh, a plantation company called A.A. Sawit Sendrian Bohart. Now, I first learned of this project uh, because the company submitted an EIA report, which is an you know, environmental impact assessment report, to the Federal Department of Environment. And, and that report was put online on, I think, on the 7th of July for public review you know so and it's, it's still there now until this wednesday the 3rd of august so i saw that and uh, a friend i guess uh you know, showed me that uh report and then i had a good read of the report and there were some i guess glaring inconsistencies uh that was you know very obvious to me uh, on the first read itself and then i decided to investigate further now the main question that arose for me was you know, every time you know, when I look at the project, I would check. I would first read what the project is about. Then I would quickly go look at satellite images. You know, they are so freely available now mm-hmm. that um, yeah, once, if you know the tools, you can easily look at you know what's going on. Well, not exactly what's going on, but what's there now and what's there, what has been there in the last few years. So just a very simple check, and I realized that hey, the EIA report was submitted uh, this year in June or July. But then the site itself, you know, about 3,800 hectares of it uh, were already developed uh, two years ago. You know, started being developed two years ago. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge mismatch in, I guess, um, the timing. And so that was where I began to investigate further. And then, of course, you know, once you start uh, opening up something, you, you, you realize even more inconsistencies. Um, yeah, and so that led to the whole story. Mm-hmm. Okay, and maybe you can help explain also who are the uh, different actors involved, right? Because right, um, yeah. So actors. there are various stakeholders mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the project first. So the project itself, you know, it is Sawit Sindirian Bahad, is uh, you know fifty one percent owned by the Johor Royal Family, and the other forty nine percent is owned by a Johorian planter, uh, Mister Chow Chunhai, right? And um, so that's the. Uh, owners of the company. The directors of the company is also Mr. Chow and then another member of the Johor Royal family. And the the land itself, you know, that the plots of land, there are six plots of land, six lots of land, uh, 
and at least four of them I can confirm are also owned by the same shareholders of the company. The other two lots of land is a bit difficult. We can maybe talk a bit more about that um, for you know to get the the uh, land titles from the land office, mm -hmm. and of course then the other stakeholders. The government authorities, so the Johor State government will have to first had to approve the project itself, and then of course there's a forestry department, Johor State Forestry Department that that had approved the logging, and, and then there would be also the local municipal, you know, the the planners, and of course at the federal level there are there is the federal department of environment because this project, you know, the way it is being done or done, uh. It's under a, a list of prescribed activities that actually require approval from the Federal Department of Environment. So those are the government authorities. Now, of course, at the, at, at the local scale, uh, there are the, all these villagers around and then also the workers in the plantations. Uh, and then, you know, if you look at the wildlife, well, those... Well, those are stakeholders too. I guess you can consider them that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a lot of people are involved, and and just to to clarify where it's happening. So it's happening around Andal, which is uh, northeast of Johor. The yes, it's northeast of Johor. So if you you know if you if you go to Kuala Rompin, which is in Pahang, you just travel south uh, along the, the 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 main the road, and then you hit Andal, or you go north from Mersing. Okay. It's uh, maybe 20 kilometers, I think, north of Mersing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Just wanted to, you know, get get it all out there. And, um, you know, you've done some investigations also in Johor, you know, for some of your previous articles, right? Does it relate at all to uh, your investigations on the Jamaluang and the Tengaro forest reserves being degazetted? Yeah. So, uh, so the story that you mentioned, it was uh, published last year. That's right. Yeah. So that story uh, last year, you know, uh, look at this huge a uh, piece of forest, you know, 17,000 hectares in total, that was degazetted. It was a forest reserve and it was degazetted at the end of 2014 and then uh, over, the t over time, you know, developed into mines and also oil palm plantation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, in a way related to this story or this project that we're talking about now because um, A.A. Sawit and the Johor royal family uh, were also involved. You know, they were also mean. Uh, actors in that uh, Jamalong uh, scenario. However, in this case, in this Undown case, I cannot confirm that the site was forest reserve. I know when all this development happened, it was state land, mm -hmm. uh, as far as I could trace. But at some point, there was one mention in this ASRW's uh, EIA report that the site was forest reserved and then degazetted and transferred into private ownership. But that was the only mention I could I could find that say it was a forest reserve. So I cannot confirm whether it was forest reserve at any point in history. Okay, all right. And um, just so everyone's clear, the name of that article is Cut, Carved and Cleared, When Big Forests Go. So that uh, if you want to read that, that's over at Makaranga. But, you know, back to the what we're talking about now. I mean, you spoke to many different people. Uh, how did you verify your facts? How did you go about gathering your data? Who did you speak to? Right. So, uh, as I said, you know, the first point was always, you know, so we, we, we always report first from, from our own desk, right? And yeah. then so I, I did uh, a lot of um, sort of uh, observations using satellite images. Uh, and then I thoroughly read through the EIA report mm -hmm. so that I have a, a list of players involved, stakeholders involved, who they spoke to at the villages because these EIA doc, uh, reports are really comprehensive. You know, they will have done a lot of 
um, surveys. They have done a lot of uh, surveys of the people, survey of the site, the physical site, the, the, the environment, the ecology. And then they will have also reached out to various government uh, agencies to get information. So then I got a list of all these uh, people uh, to reach out to. Everything happened very quickly. You know, all, actually, the, all the reporting, uh, and almost all the reporting done for this story was completed in about uh, a week, at most 10 days, uh, okay. because we were rushing for time to, to get this out before the EIA deadline, uh, the public review deadline. Yeah, so once I had all that, then um, I reached out to, I first emailed all these um, players involved, you know, and then I also went to the site itself. Uh, it was a very quick <laughs> two-day trip, uh, went to the site itself, not inside this site itself, but around it, and then spoke to the villagers there, spoke to plantation workers there. I also asked for land titles from the Johor Land Office, so I, I know the history or the ownership of the lots itself. So I verified um, all this evidence, you know, you have to cross-verify them uh, through, you know, interviews, official documents, satellite images. Uh, it's just, you know, it's always unfortunate uh, when we do such stories or investigation that the main players involved, you know, in, in this case, the plantation owners, you know, or the landowners, um, they do not respond um, despite various attempts to, to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't hear back from them? No, no. Well, maybe not yet. Who knows? Maybe they will reach out in, in some time to come. But as, as of today, no, not yet. Okay. All right. Let's just go for a quick break. Yeah. When we come back, let's talk about the chain of events, right? As you put it in the article, you know exactly what happened. I'm speaking today to Lau Yaohua. He's an editor at journalism portal Makaranga. He's also a science and environmental journalist. We're talking about his recent investigation into a plantation company, A.A. Sawitzendirin Burheit, who submit, submitted an environmental impact assessment report, but after development had already begun on the site in question. So we're going to find out more about that after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me in the studio today is environmental and science journalist Lau Yaohua. He's also an editor at the journalism portal Makaranga. And he dis- he investigated a story uh, which was produced in collaboration with the Pulitzer Center's Rainforest Investigations Network. It's called Drains Dug, Trees Cut. Now let's get it approved. So basically, uh, you know, as Yaohua has explained to us, plantation company A.A. Sawit, they have submitted env- an environmental impact assessment report to get federal approval for its new plantations in Johor. But but the development on the site had already begun two years ago. So, uh, you know, what is, you know, how did this happen? How did the clearing happen without the necessary um, approvals in place? So that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of today. So um, talk to me, Yahua, about the chain of events, right? As, as you mentioned in the article itself uh, of, you know, everything that happened as far as you know. Right. So all these events uh, in the story happened uh, in, around Kampung Labung. Okay, so this is Andau, right? And so if we, if we have to first, you know, be able to picture the, the environment. So Kampung Lambong is an Orang Asli Jakun uh, village, you know, of about 120 households. And speaking to villagers, you know, uh, of course, like, you know, in, in the 60s, it was all forested and that was where they first settled in that place or, or gazetted as an Orang Asli village. And then in the decades since, you know, the area around them, uh, particularly north and around them. So, so just to the south of the village is a river called Sungai Labong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are several, there are many rivers in that area. Actually, actually, Johor has plenty of rivers, yeah. And, okay, so anyway, south of, so, so south of uh, Kampung Labong is a river called Sungai Labong. Um, so in the decades since, you know, um, most of the areas north of this river uh, and around the village were cleared and turned into, you know, rubber plantation, oil palm plantation, paddy fields, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So agriculture. Um, 
the the site that we are talking about now uh, is south of the river. Okay, south of the river, about you know about four thousand. Actually, you no, know, it's about like five thousand hectares more or less. And the development there in this in this big site uh, began more or less in the late nineties uh, with um, the Johor Farmers Organization going there first, and then uh, you know clearing and developing uh, oil palm plantation of about nine hundred hectares. And then, and then there was another 200 hectare of a Felcra uh, oil palm plantation, which is actually on land owned by the Oranasli, and, and, and that's the arrangement between them. And then, uh, and then there were other units that came in and cleared parts of the land. Okay, but when AA Sawit arrived on the scene in the year 2020, um, of that site, there was still about maybe... 700 or maybe even 800 hectares of forest left. Um, and the clearing of that forest began in 2020. You could see it in satellite images, right? And then by 2021, by mid-2021, all the forest in that site, in the AA Sawit uh, plantation site, you know, has been cleared. And then you and then you see all these irrigation drains all dug in. So it looked as, you know, very much like a plantation ready to go. And by June this year, June or July this year, you know, when the EIA report was submitted, actually oil palm had already been planted on site, like new oil palm. Okay. Um, now the site, the, the history of the site, now I gave a very brief history of the site. It's actually, it's actually a bit more complicated than that because there were um, some alleged intruder in one part of the, the site that planted a huge patch of oil palm. Uh, and then there were also another Johor State uh, Foundation that was given the land, part of the land, and then they cleared all the forest there, but they haven't planted, and then ASRW came in. Now, I must note here that, actually, I, I cannot exactly confirm who was the logger that cleared the last remaining forest on this patch of land. It could be ASRW or it could not be, because the, the, uh, the wording in the EIA report contradict each other, and... Um, and the logging license in the EIA report is actually hidden and just you know, replaced with a line saying that this is restricted for the Department of Environment only. Usually, we will be able to see it, but in this case, we couldn't see it, the public version, we couldn't see it. So I actually do not know who was given the logging license by the State Forestry Department to log the area. But they had two logging licenses to log the area. Um, and because the size of the logging concession was larger than 500 hectares, so it falls under Schedule 2 of the um, prescribed activities uh, of the Environmental Quality Act. And so, which is why uh, a project of this scale has to have uh, approval from the Federal Department of Environment. Mm -hmm. And let's talk a little bit about those EIAs, right? What function do they actually serve in cases such as this? Well, um, the main function of the EIA report, uh, well, I, I will be citing, I guess, the, the, the reasons given in the EIA Guidelines 2016, which is uh, published by the Department of Environment. Um, in there, it says that an EIA report mainly serves to guide the developer of the project and the authorities and all these policymakers and the agencies to identify the impact, the potential impact of a project on the environment and the socioeconomic, you know, um, variables, I guess, the people and the economy of the, of, of the area. To first identify and then to uh, think and plan for measures to prevent or mitigate uh, those impact. 
that's the main that's the that's the main uh, purpose of it. And of course, you know, for the developer, it's for them to figure out how to do all this. And then for the authority, the Department of Environment or the state agencies, it's for them to um, evaluate if this project and the developer are prepared to uh, mitigate all this environmental impact. It's not to totally prevent the environmental impact. No, it's not that. Uh, but it's you know, to, to recognize that they will be impact and how can we uh, mitigate those impacts and still have development of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in, in any situation then, the EIA should be submitted before any clearing actually happens, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So in the Environmental Quality Act, I think uh, Section 34A, yeah, it's clearly stated there that uh, before the start of any project, uh, the approval of the Department of Environment must be obtained uh, you know, before the project can start. So approval uh, based on the EIA report itself. And the EIA report must be uh, done according to the guidelines uh, given by the department. And if um, there's any, I guess, uh, I think the word you was contravention. You know, if you, if you breach any of the rules there, then yeah, you can be fined uh, or imprisonment or both. Yeah. Okay, so it, I mean, the thing that really caught my eye in your article was that you said that in a um, AA Sawit's EIA, they actually mentioned that they already cleared land before submitting the EIA. Yeah, so it is it is stated in the EIA report, and the EIA report is in many places uh, contradic- contradicting itself and also a bit uh, confusing uh, to read. Uh, it well, it may just be I'm inadequate to to, to read it, right? <laughs> so um, the so at one point. They would say they would show photos of the site still forested. That was, you know, of course, outdated photos. Um, And they would say that the, you know, in the table they they wrote that the site still has, you know, uh, x amount hectares of uh, forest land. And then just a few pages later, they would say that the the site has been cleared and logged. Uh, even while the EIA study was ongoing, and then they said that the logging licenses were given, and then uh, in year twenty twenty. Yeah, so they do not totally deny that they, they did lock the place uh, before they submit the EIA. So, so at one point, they even got me wondering whether I'm barking up the wrong tree. Like, did they actually have an EIA approved on the state level that I just could not find? But there was no mention uh, of such an approval on the DOE website. Well, you know, as we mentioned last week, the DOE website itself is not updated. So that could, I don't know, who yeah. don't know whose fault is that. Yeah. But I did my search and, and, um, and I could not see that there was any EIA report submitted or approved for such a project. You, and in, in this EIA report itself, the consultants actually wrote that there was no EIA submitted in the area. So they had no reference because usually, you know, in such EIA reports, they will say, oh, another project nearby had submitted a EIA report, which we could refer to. Uh, in here, it says that there was no EIA report submitted before. And then later, the DOE also told me that, uh, you know, responded to our questions and said that, yeah, they did not receive uh, a EIA report for this project before this. So, yeah, you know, one of our experts that spoke to us, he, he said the question should really be uh, pushed to the local authorities, in this case, the State Forestry Department and the Johor State Government, as to why they allow the logging to to have you know to, to, to commence before the EIA approval was obtained. Now, as far as I know, in many of the logging concessions, you know, the the the, the state would first approve it, and then the State Forestry Department would 
uh, issue the permit. But very often there is a con- there are conditions uh, you know attached to those permits, and one of those conditions, if it applies, is that you will have to first get the EIA approval before you can start the clearing the project. Mm-hmm. Now, because I did not have a chance to look at the logging license, I do not know whether such a condition was attached. Okay. All right. So as it stands, um, the EIA is, is current, it's, it's publicly available, right? And it's, yeah. it's right up till uh, this Wednesday, you were saying. Yeah. So yes. So every EIA of this scale, you know, under Schedule 2 will have to be put on uh, public, you know, put up for public review uh, for 30 days. Um, so that ends this Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, 3rd of August, that you'll be taken offline. Um, and then, but then uh, the public can still provide their feedback until 17th August. So if you want to grab the whole EIA report or just the executive summary, you have to go there now, right fast, <laughs> and then look up for it. Uh, maybe Julia can put a link to it sure. in, in, the, in the podcast. I will. Um, and then you can just get it there. But you have until 17 August to provide your feedback mm-hmm. on the project itself. Because as we mentioned last week, you know, if you want to do it after that period, you need to go and apply for it. You need to... Oh, you, you probably won't get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> you mean the EIA report? The EIA report, yeah. Oh, well, if anybody here knows of a reliable way to get the EIA report after the public <laughs> review period, yeah, please share with Makaranga. <laughs> we would very much appreciate it. Okay. All right. So, okay. So that's where it stands right now. And, you know, the other... Um, so there were two articles written in conjunction with this um, with this report, right? So as I mentioned, the first part was, you know, you laid it all out in drains, dug, trees cut, now let's get it approved. There was also a second follow-up uh, article to that. Am I correct? Yeah. So the it, on, on Makaranga, we wrote two articles. Uh, of course, earlier that we, we, we published one on SCMP, there's a one-piece summary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on Makaranga itself, we published two articles. The first one was what we talked about, you know, all these issues or questions about the EIA report itself, I guess in, in some ways the legality of the project itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second uh, article, uh, which is titled Between Floods, Elephants and Jobs, uh, focuses on the, I guess, the from the, the experiences of the villagers itself or themselves, uh, you know, how they have felt the impact and also the benefits of the plantations uh, around them, right? Okay, so yeah. they were... You know, environmental impacts and they were of course social impacts too. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that, right? I mean, you spoke to the locals, um, you know, and all of them had many, many stories to share. They spoke about um, uh, not just environmental impacts, as you said, right, but also the social ones. Let's talk about things like floods, for example. You know, has that been a problem since uh, these plantations came uh, to their villages? Yeah. Okay. Just just to point out that I personally spoke to about eight people in and around the, the, the site, including the villagers. But the village itself has 120 households. So I'm in no way saying that I've interviewed all sure. the villagers. Yeah? Sure, sure. Uh, okay, so, yeah, floods, right? Um, the, the village is, you know, the, the village sits next to Sungai Labong, which is not a huge river, right? It's, 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 uh, it's not a huge river. And this river flows, you know, from Lake Labong uh, and then the Gunung Arong Forest Reserve to the east, and bef- even before all these plantations came, uh, there had been floods in, in the village. But it's not regular. It, it wasn't regular. The villagers was tell- telling me that now the floods are a lot more regular. They're expected to be annual now, sometimes twice a year. Uh, but of course, it hadn't happened in the last two years because they said last year has been a bit dry for them locally. Okay. Um, but now, since all the plantations, you know, their concern is that the plantations, they, so they blame the plantations for the floods. And when these floods happen, uh, the houses that are closer to the river 
or on lower ground would be flooded about um, about up to the knee. So I guess wow. that's about two feet, yeah, sure. up to the knee, two, 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 three feet uh, up to the knee, and then uh, the, the the victims would have to all move to their school, you mm. know, as a, as a flood relief center. Mm-hmm. And it hurts them a lot. You know, it's, it's a huge uh, trouble for them. And all the villagers I spoke to had in some ways been affected by these floods. And they blame the plantations, the oil palm plantations, because the rubber plantations are not huge. It's the oil palm plantations that are huge. And they blame the oil palm plantations for first, you know, removing all the trees. That's one. Second thing, uh, you know, as when, when the trees are removed, you know, the, the, the rainwater falls harder on the soil and it flows off more. Uh, but they also blame particularly the huge irrigation drains that run from within the oil palm plantations to Sungai Labong. And they say that such drains now channel a lot of the rainfall uh, straight into Sungai Labong. And so, of course, Sungai Labong then quickly overflows, breaks its banks, um, and then floods the village. Mm-hmm. So so that's what they've been complaining about, the floods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this, I mean, you spoke to uh, the villagers uh, Tok Batin, right? He, yep. He's been there for about three decades. He's the, the oh, no, Tok he's been there very long. He, he, he has been at Tok Batin for three decades. Three decades but he's but been there since the 50s. Yeah. And he was sharing stories of how even the landscape has changed, right? Like when, you know, before you could hear animals, yeah. you know, now nothing, you know, all those sorts of stories. Yeah. Well, all of them share share similar stories, right? Sure. Even those who were in their 40s would, would tell me like, of course, you know, because, because a lot of changes happened to them since uh, to their areas since the since the 90s so if you were born in the late 70s then as a child you have experienced like hearing you know all you know what they what they described to me as you know the the, the songs of the gibbons in the morning lots of langurs um and then uh hornbills you know hornbills they say yeah they were here all the time you know elephants across the river but never entering their village uh elephants were have always been a common sight there, no? mm-hmm. so that the area has always had a lot of elephants, um, and then you know, all sorts of deers, you know, barking deer, sangkanjil, etc., etc. Yeah, so plenty of animals. I mean, even the EIA report itself. You know, when when the EIA consultants went in, actually, I seriously suspect that the area has more or less been cleared based on satellite image. But still, they the survey the, the people who went to survey the wildlife reported quite a lot of. Uh, animals and even some that experts told me are very rare to be to be seen like I think a stock or something the, the lesser adjutant or something okay sorry all the birders out there <laughs> um, so yeah but yes so they described to me um, uh, yeah you know a, an environment rich with wildlife you know and and the top button himself particularly described to me how he, he used to hear on the river right this bong 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 and I was like what is bong 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 oh so he said like yeah that's when the fish actually rush up to to, to the to the water surface and eat the things that fall into the river so you know the sound right when a huge fish just flaps yeah. in the water that yeah. bong bong sound so yeah I said but yeah but now they're no longer there and that river has always been a, a source of income and food for the villagers because they are you no know, huge Okay, let's not say huge. There are ikan tapa, ikan baung. Uh, there are some crabs and, and, and udang gala. They're like, it's one of their, it has, it has been one of their main source of income. Mm. But of course, of late, um, due to uh, what they say is pollution of the river, uh, and they blame the oil palm plantations for this too. So all this, uh, not just the land wildlife has been gone, but even the river life, the river wildlife has been uh, hugely decimated. Okay. And that has also come to impact their livelihood and basically how they, I mean, you know, just yeah. their day-to-day life? Well, there are not many fishermen left in, in uh, 
uh, Kampung Labong mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Uh, fewer than 10. They, uh, the, the fisherman told me that there used to be 30. Um, just, uh, you know, maybe uh, I think about two decades or a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, to say that it has impacted their livelihood, it has changed their Change. source of income. Okay. But to say that it has really decreased their income, probably not. Because, you know, with all the plantations and the rubber estates around them, they, they do derive, they do make a living from the plantations. Um, and I asked the fishermen, like, you know, if you switch over to a plantation job, would you actually lose income? And he said, no, it's probably the same. Uh, of course, that depends on the oil palm price and, and latex price. Um, but he says uh, it's probably the same if you can get a job in the plantation. Okay. Uh, his worry is more for like people who cannot work in plantations or maybe, you know, in a way, you, you may be forced to work in the plantation or it's, it's the next most available job. Sure. Uh, but if you do not want to work in a plantation and you really love to fish, for example, mm-hmm. but then with all the developments going on, May, you know, and then you see your, your river catch just dropping, you know, it's one seventh of what he used to catch before. So what, what, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, you need to, you need to support your family, isn't yeah. it? And he spoke about the dirty water, right? And mm. that's something that, uh, and I think the word that was used was the water tastes sour and bitter, kalat, isn't it? That's what yeah, you use. Yeah, that's why I first learned the word kalat. Kalat, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, that was quoted in a lot of the articles as well. So, and, and that experience that he spoke about was actually corroborated in the EIA, isn't it? Yeah. So the EIA reports, it's a very comprehensive thing, right? They survey a lot of uh, environmental parameters. And one of it is uh, quality of the water, the river quality. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they surveyed, I think, um, they sampled, uh, I think, eight or, or, eight or more uh, points in, in rivers around the, the site. And one of the sample sites was, um, were yeah, stream coming out of the existing plantation. Well, all these plantations are all connected, yeah? yeah. So existing plantations. So, and, and yeah, and, and two of the sites, uh, sample sites coming out of the plantations, they found uh, far higher levels of, uh, they found very high levels of iron, manganese, and also ammonia dissolved in the water. Ammo, Ammoniacal nitrogen, nitrogen, but let's call it ammonia, is ammonia dissolved in the water. Sure. And the villagers, right, they blamed these uh, pollutants on the chemicals used in the plantations, uh, you know, fertilizers and pesticides. And indeed, you know, ammonia in the water, one of the potential sources is chemical fertilizers. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, you know, with any sort of land clearing, you know, forested, uh, uh, land clearing of forests, um, there will eventually be some human wildlife conflict, right? And uh, that has also been happening in the area and some, as you put it, some giant threats actually. Yeah. So as you know, elephants have always been part of the landscape mm-hmm. and uh, as of late, um, actually the whole part of Johor, actually many parts of Johor have a severe uh, human elephant conflict and we see it more and more, I guess, in, in all the videos now on, online. Yeah. Yeah. And in this area, so elephants are you know, increasingly, they say, coming into the village, uh, into the plantations for sure. That's for sure. And you know, last year, uh, the one elephant you know, came into the village, uh, uh, you know, destroyed the banana plants behind mm-hmm. the school. That, so that was a scare. It came at night, of course. Um, and then, uh, and, and even more unfortunate was that a, a, a villager, um, you know, uh, 60, 61 years old, uh, was, uh, he, he went fishing last year, you know, he has always gone fishing and then he went fishing last year by a river 
uh, in that area also. And then he and his son encountered an elephant. The son ran back, but he failed to run. Uh, and then when the son came back from him, you know, he, he was nearly lifeless on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ribs were broken and pierced his organs. And um, unfortunately, the villager died before he reached the, the hospital. So elephants had, elephant-human conflicts had led to uh, death in this area. And it also caused trauma, right? Um, and the plantation workers are very aware of this. Now, when I spoke to plantation workers, they were telling me how they would... They, they will always see elephants and their elephant dung, you know, scattered yeah, yeah. in the plantations. And, and, the, and the workers, they would sniff the air for that, you know, the pungent elephant urine so that, you know, if you smell it, then you know an elephant is around, then you're extra careful. You don't want to, you know, I, I guess make any noises or whatever. And, and, yeah, and, and they, they, they told me many stories, um, but, you know. What, what limits I can't put all these stories in there. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, all right. So, but they've, they've noticed an increase in, in human-wildlife conflict or? Well, they say there has been increased mm. because um, though elephants have always been common, uh, they say, the villagers say that the elephants never entered the village. You know, the Tokpatin say that, you know, the, the other younger villagers also say that. They say they, 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 when they were kids, they saw elephants. But the elephants never bothered them. They said, you know, the elephants would run away when they when they saw humans last time. That was last time. It do do they say. Mm. But then now, for whatever reasons, the elephants don't seem, don't behave, behave, don't run away. And they say, the villagers say that because the elephants have no, of course, no food, no land to, to stay in. So, you know, it, it makes sense. They say it makes sense that they will come into village because there's food in the village. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's very interesting that, um, you know, they, they, they would tell me that, you can't just move these elephants away to the hills because elephants don't stay in the hills. They, they'll tell me elephants like to stay next to the river where there's a lot of baluka uh, or some undergrowth, you know, grasses and stuff. And that's where these elephants like to stay. And in the forest and then next to these flat rivers, right? And they say, uh, and we call them nenek baluka because <laughs> they like to makan dan tinggal dalam baluka. So we call them nenek baluka. So we say like, yeah, so they, they, don't, they don't sound like they blame the elephants, uh, but they're definitely suffering the impact of this human-elephant conflict. Okay. And, you know, part of the EIA is also getting the other local stakeholders sort of like um, thoughts on this, right? And, and their feedback as well, right? Do, do you know, the folks who live there, do the Orang Asli who live there, do they believe they have any agency at all in this matter? Um, the few that I spoke to, you know, the mm-hmm. I guess the six or eight that I spoke to, um, didn't give me a, a, a sense that they've had uh, they have much control over what happened uh, in and around their village. Okay, it, it was actually very surprising to me. You know, as a, as a reporter, we go in. I try to go in. I always try to go in with with the least presumption possible. Sure. And so, of course, I always ask them for their thoughts on 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 all this development and what they would like to see happen because we we are, we want sustainable development, right? So I I also always ask them, what kind of develop, development would you want to see? And I was very surprised that um, they actually could not tell me what kind of development they wanted to see. I mean, only the top button could, could say something, had, actually had an opinion <laughs> on what kind of development. Uh, the, the top button said that as of now, we have no choice. It has to be more plantations because we cannot rely on the river anymore. So I, he did not see any other choice of development other than plantations. And he said that plantation will at least give them income and jobs. Sure. But for the rest, right, even the family whose father was, um, uh, who died due to an elephant encounter, they couldn't describe a better development than plantation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then some of them said that, yeah, we, what we think probably doesn't matter. And so we don't think about it. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So you've reported all of this um, and, you know, you've it's been out for about, what, two weeks, uh, a week plus now, isn't it? Um, what sort of feedback have you got and, you know, what basically happens next as, as far as you can tell us? Well, um, well, the story on the SCMP version went very viral, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if we, if we trust, um, well, the feedback that we personally got at Makaranga is that, uh, well, I, I guess many of the environmentalists and um, the experts involved uh, appreciate the work that we do uh, and the investigation and the evidence that we put forth. And... Yeah, I'll, I'll not comment on all these social media comments. You, you guys can go look it up yourself. Sure. Um, what's next? Of course, there is yeah two things that are very important now. Well, the thing is the EIA report has been submitted to, uh, to the Federal Department of Environment and the department and all the other, uh, there will be a panel of reviewers who will now read and review the report. And then they'll have to decide whether uh, it needs improvement, you know, approve or reject. Um, and that, that decision has to be made by the Director General of the Department of Environment. So that's ongoing. I cannot comment more on that other than the department has told me, and I rewrite this in the article also, that they will invest they are investigating the allegations raised in our articles. That you know whether actually development had begun uh, before the EIA was reported and if there were any wrongdoing, they said they would uh, take enforcement, the necessary enforcement. So the other thing then that, uh, that, that can happen is, of course, everyone listening uh, can submit their feedback, you know, can go look at the EIA report and submit their feedback uh, on the website, on the DOE portal. Uh, you can, as I'll just repeat again, you can look up, the, the, the report is still avail- available online until this Wednesday, the 3rd of August, but the feedback is solicited, uh, solicited until the 17th of August. All right. Well, thank you so much, Yahua, you know, for, for laying that out for us. And, you know, if any, anyone would like to go and read those two articles, just head to makaranga.org. Do go and search up Drains Dug Trees Cut. Now let's get it approved. And then the follow-up article to that is Between Floods, Elephants and Jobs. All of them available at makaranga.org. You can also follow Makaranga on social media if you'd like updates. They're on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram as well? No, just return. No. Uh, Twitter and Facebook, right? Yeah, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, uh, yeah Twitter okay. and Facebook, not Instagram. Okay. All right. My, uh, my thanks again to Lao Yao Hua, uh, environmental and science journalist. He's also an editor at Makaranga. And again, this story was produced in collaboration with the Pulitzer Center's Rainforest Investigations Network. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.